The iconic high-rise docking state office building next to the Kansas Capitol, which now sits largely unoccupied, could be demolished. That's the quest of Governor Laura Kelly, who put in motion a plan to scrap the legislature's preference for lopping off some floors of the structure and renovating that space. But work to take the building to the ground could begin as early as January 2023. On the other hand, a preservation group called Plains Modern has gone to court to halt full-scale demolition, and they're here with the Kansas Reflector to discuss why that should be the chosen path for this building. Here to dig into the details is historic preservationist Colleen Lynn. Hello. Hi. Uh, we, have, we have architect Michael Gibson. Hello. Yes, thank you. We have historian Paul Post. Hello, glad to be here. Yeah, good to see you. And attorney Philip Gregson. Good morning. Honored to be here. Yeah, good for you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you to you all. Uh, so let's begin with Colleen, and, and all of you can pitch in, but let's just talk about the fundamental question, the cause. What is the cause here? We're talking about an old state office building. It's been used for half a century. It's sitting over there right next to the Capitol. Um, some people might think it's beautiful. Some people might not. But what is the cause we're talking about here? Tim, it's not just an old building. It is a historically designated building. Uh, the docking building on the National Register of Historic Places is scheduled for demolition starting on January 1. And that's often surprising to anyone who knows anything about preservation law or statute. Um, it's usually not that simple. Plains Modern decided to intervene after Governor Laura Kelly issued a final order that um, allowed the building to be demolished in spite of the fact that the state historic preservation officer uh, ruled in February that doing so would cause it to be removed from the National Register. Um, that final order contends that there are no prudent and feasible alternatives to destroying the national landmark. However, we know that there are documented prudent and feasible alternatives that were provided by Clark Huseman in um, a state contracted report back in 2020. And that's why we're here now, is to assert that there are options beyond tearing down the docking building. Okay. Paul, you're the historian here. Could you just paint us a picture a little bit about the building and talk a little bit about its significance as a structure. Well, the building is significant because after World War II, there was a desire by the state to bring all of the employees who, state employees who were at various diverse uh, venues into one state office building that would be adjacent to the Capitol building. That process actually started in the late 40s and continued through the early 50s when the current design was decided upon by the then State Building Committee. And it went forward uh, with a $9 million bond allocation to build this structure, which is a mid-century modern edifice. And I'll defer to, uh, to my friend here, Michael, to talk a little bit more about what that means. But essentially, when the groundbreaking took place, and later at the dedication, then-Governor Arne described the building as the uh, worthy twin of the Capitol building. The Capitol building embodied the 19th century, and the state office building, as it was then known, now the docking building, embodied and was, uh, was essentially the uh, embodiment of the 20th century. And as I said, uh, Governor Arne described it as a worthy twin to that 19th century Capitol building. Okay, Michael, you're our architectural style guide. Uh, you know, help us out with maybe the significance of this particular building. Well, when I moved to Topeka, I noticed the building right away. Um, it is a very uh, different looking building. 
Um, and I, it surprised me to learn that that building uh, was completed just a few years after the UN Secretariat, uh, which is a tall, glazed, modern building that's uh, considered one of the first of its kind in the in the world, really. Um, and I think that's that's significant because the docking was really a trailblazing building um, for the whole, really the whole country. Uh, there's a lot of uh, really unique technology and methods that were used in that building uh, to, to make it extra flexible, um, to make it easy to adapt. Um, it's a very, uh, very resilient structure. It's concrete encased uh, steel. At that time, in the 50s, that was the approach used to fireproof a tall structure. And it even has uh, double pane insulated glass windows. Um, and it really an innovative use of the technology um, at the time and a trailblazing building. Mm-hmm. So, Philip, you're the, the legal counsel here. Um, I just I just quickly want to know what is your you're you're trying to approach this from a legal perspective uh, to preserve the building or at least part of it. How big of an uphill battle is that? Um, I consider it a fairly big uphill battle. Uh, presently, the, the the suit's been pending since um, approximately April of this year. Uh, the issue's been briefed, and we had oral arguments last week. The court has taken it under advisement, and we expect a decision any time. However, we bifurcated the issues, and the only issues that the judge is considering at this point is standing of Plains Modern um, and jurisdiction. And the jurisdiction issue relates to, since this is technically an administrative appeal, we had 30 days from the date of the what's called the final order, However, uh, procedurally, the problem was there is no mechanism under the historic preservation statutes to provide notice to anyone other than the state historical preservation officer, which presented a problem in our case. And they're claiming we were we were late to file, even though we never got notice. So you had a time clock going, but there was no public disclosure necessarily of of the the order issued by Governor Lark Kelly to proceed with demolition. That's correct. So you couldn't necessarily respond in a timely manner because maybe they didn't want anybody to know about it. Well, that's correct. Again, whether it's a flaw in the statute, there is no mechanism such as putting it in the Kansas Register, the Mm -hmm. state paper of the state of Kansas, letting people know what the decision was. Let me just just capsulize there. You're saying there was potentially a flaw in the Kansas statute book? Potentially, yes. Okay, gosh, all right. So it's a bit of a mystery how we got to this point. Years ago, Governor Sam Brownback, a Republican, wanted to demolish the docking building. He had a big plan. Uh, There's a power plant that serves the Capitol complex in the basement of the docking building. He was going to build a $20 million new power plant. The legislature didn't buy into that. They canceled the contract, pulled the plug. I think that was around 2016 or so. The years all blend together. So then there there was a lot of debate, a lot of legislative study, much talk, 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 talk. And then there was an idea to give the building a, you know, maybe some people wanted to renovate the whole thing. And then it was, you were going to get a haircut down to three floors, take off the top nine maybe, and then go down to three and renovate that. And now we're, we're at the point where we're abandoning all of that and we're, we're pancaking the whole thing. Uh, Colleen, can you tell us why uh, Governor Kelly is taking this move? I don't know directly why, but this is what I do know, that we as taxpayers own a 12-story, 
concrete encased steel building that is sound, structurally sound, and has been verified as structurally sound. And we are pulling that down to build back a smaller building. Essentially, we'll have less public office space when we get done. Um, does, is that in the service to taxpayers? No, we're going to have less value. Is that in service to any environmental sustainability? No, because everything that could be good about the new building could be included in a rehabilitated docking as well. Um, so it just stands to reason that the only people who are being benefited are those who own um, private commercial real estate in Topeka who no longer have to compete with a 12-story building. I, I should point out there's a bit of an irony here. When Governor Kelly was in the Kansas Senate, she voted, along with all of her Senate colleagues, to stop Brownback's plan to demolish the building. And she's, in fact, the person who signed the order uh, make in 2022 to proceed with this. Uh, does anybody have any comment about irony? Well, she was my, this is Paula, she was my senator for many years, and I went two different occasions to her office in the Capitol building to talk to her about demolition plans, and she was adamantly opposed to Brownback's intent to demolish the building. She, along with Representative John Alcala, I met with both of them twice, and uh, they were opposed uh, vehemently to what Brownback was wanting to do. Part of the process, the legislature, of course, has the power to decide what happens to that building, but they kind of kicked it to a, uh, a, a the State Finance Council. It's, a, it's legislative leadership and uh, the top brass of government to make a final call. Um, so does anybody have any comment about the politics of all this? Or maybe it's really not really a political question. It's really about uh, money, financing, and people thinking this is an eyesore? Well, that's exactly what Senator Clay said a year ago at the uh, building committee meeting uh, in the Capitol. Uh, when they had their meeting in October of 2021, he said, I want to, I've been looking at this eyesore for 10 years and I want it to be gone. He was the spark plug behind all of this. Mm -hmm. uh, and he came up with the idea uh, to tear it down to grade. When the day before, again, I spoke to uh, John Alcala, who was also on the committee, and he said, well, the agreement is we've reached a compromise. It's going down to six floors. That's what he thought the day before. So no one was expecting this from Senator Clays, who moved to change the approach and take it completely down to grade and start all over with a new building. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Uh, Michael, you have anything to add? I, I did. Um, yeah, go ahead. So the, I, I think the the financial story behind this is that the, this project is funded, um, and the, the irony is that renovating the entire docking structure is almost the same cost as tearing it down and building this small uh, building. And um, the report that Colleen referenced before from the architecture firm Clark Huseman, um, that report was very comprehensive. It had consulting engineers, um, consulting specialists to, to take a really detailed look at the building uh, to a, a level and depth that really hadn't done, been done before. And that, that study concluded the, the feasibility of, of restoring the building um, completely. Um, I want to read a quote from um, the, the sort of brownback area that you were uh, referring to, Tim. Um, this was from a legislator who said uh, that he had never seen that kind of deterioration in a building that is relatively new. Well, the docking building is not new. It's an old building. Um, old buildings age. It's a natural process. And the docking is not deteriorated. It's actually in fabulous shape. Um, I've been to the building many times. I've been uh, walked around by 
members of the Department of Administration to, sh to show uh, the building systems and, and the materials. And the building is in spectacular condition considering the very low level of maintenance and service that was done uh, in the office spaces. Um, and luckily, the building is, is preserved very, very well. Um, it's not leaking. It's not going to fall down. Um, when we've been engaging the public on this issue, we've actually heard a lot of that misinformation that um, there is something, people think there's something fundamentally wrong with the building, and there really isn't. It's a building that is in great shape. I should note the Kansas Reflector requested comment from the Department of Administration, but the agency declined to comment due to y'all's uh, legal fight. I did want to ask you something that I had heard in the State House, and that is when the people looked at what to do with, if they took it down to three floors and they looked at what the uh, interior structure of that three-floor building would be, they had these pillars that would hold up nine other floors, and those apparently get in the way of a, a proper, meaningful renovation of the remaining port of the structure. Does that make any sense to you, Michael? I, I laugh about that a little bit because as an architect, um, you know, I, I'm familiar with projects that have really pushed uh, adaptive reuse to an extreme. Um, there's hotels where you can spend the night in an old concrete grain silo. Um, so the, <laughs> the structure of a building is really, it's a problem that architects and engineers can solve. And I, I think that narrative is also false because we have the, the report, we have the documentation. In fact, I think we've, we've noticed in the Plains Modern Group, the similarities between the new proposed uh, short building um, and the renovation of the docking, um, they're really, really very similar. In fact, a, a lot of the, the sustainability and technology features of that new building uh, could be a part of the existing building renovation. Michael, can you also tell me what Plains Modern, somebody tell me what Plains Modern is. It's a style of architecture. Could somebody just explain your all's name, group name? It's, it's uh, because our group is committed to preservation and advocacy for modern design um, in Kansas and across the Midwest, we took on the moniker Plains Modern, the idea that um, this particular style has a home in Kansas and surrounding regions, too. Okay. What, what does it typify, Plains Modern? Can anybody tell me? I think we're still learning that. Um, okay. And in, in the preservation world, I think um, we've ignored a lot of our structures that are are maybe just 60 or 70 years old. And those, those structures deserve to be retained as part of our, our, our society and part of our, our building culture. Um, if we load the, lose those buildings, they will not be replaced. Um, building uh, construction and, and building technology has changed um, greatly. We, we can't replace a, a, a building like the docking um, if it's lost. And we're, we haven't even talked about the, the, um, the aesthetic um, and the, the historical value of the building, um, you know, thousands of state employees worked in that building uh, for decades. And so there's a, there's a lot of um, a lot of sort of time and kind of memory um, tied up in that um, in that structure. And there's a pledge when they when they tear it out to save some of the some of the more beautiful aspects of it. I think there's marble on the walls in the first floor, etc. Uh, and I just don't know how that's going to be put back into a, a, a building in a meaningful way. Well, Tim, I think the, the public uh, kind of media presentation of that has called that preservation, and that's really not 
preservation, just taking the parts of an old building and putting them on display. Um, anyone that's familiar with what preservation is knows that that's, that's the opposite of, of preservation because to preserve a building means that it can continue to be used, it can continue to be inhabited and experienced. I have a one-page timeline of all of this, the, the saga of this, the soap opera, and we're going to go through that. But Philip, I wanted to just real quickly, can you uh, tell us in terms of the legal fight over this, if the judge were to allow you the suit to continue, you say you have standing as a group to to bring some cause in court and that the jurisdiction is appropriate, uh, What? how do you see that playing out if you're prevailing? If we prevail at this particular stage, then we're faced with the prospect of um, deciding whether or not we should seek some type of injunctive relief to preclude the project moving forward as um, directed by the governor. Um, and we'll cross that bridge if and or when we get there. Um, the notion would be to stop the wrecking ball in its tracks. Yes. And that now it, it could be stopped if the judge were to simply um, dismiss the final order and say, hey, tee it up again and, and do it differently. Um, but before I move on with that, I, you mentioned irony earlier, and I wanted to emphasize, as I did in our oral argument, all the things we're talking about is behind the backdrop of a state public policy that reads like this. And this is KSA 7527.15, and it says, It is therefore declared to be the public policy and in the public interest of the state to engage in a comprehensive program of historic preservation and to foster and promote the conservation and use of historic property for the education, inspiration, pleasure, and enrichment of the citizens of Kansas. That statute also references that this process is of the highest priority. And again, I'll ask you and your listeners, as I ask the court, does what happened here reflect that preservation is the highest priority of the state of Kansas? I, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're certainly encouraging the governor to rethink this and hopefully take some action separate and apart from what the court is doing now. Yeah, okay. Now... Excellent. I, I appreciate that. Now we're going to talk a little bit about the sausage making of all things in government. And so we're going to go back uh, to 2011. That's when Governor Brownback proposed that the building be raised uh, without legislative approval. And he started relocating people to other uh, private office buildings and signing 20, 25 year leases. I can't remember for exorbitant escalator clauses that uh, are really uh, given you know, the fact that everybody wants to work at home now seemed like a ridiculous contract that the state would uh, be cost them dearly to get out of. So way to go there. Uh, then at 2016, the Kansas Preservation Alliance uh, proposed this be placed in the National Register. Can somebody talk about that? Because it was I think it was placed on. And taken off? No, not exactly. Explain, explain where we're at there. So the, the way that these buildings are listed is that there is a state body. It's the Kansas Historic Board of Review that considers what structures in Kansas should be added first to the state list and then sent on to the national for their consideration. Um, at the meeting where that nomination was considered, um, an official of the Brownback administration asked that the nomination be tabled so that further consideration could be made for tearing down the building. Um, 
that over public objections, the Board of Review voted to table, and that is the last time docking appeared on the agenda or the minutes of that board until it was actually listed in 2020, only because a private citizen petitioned the National Park Service directly asking, why has this been tabled? What is the status of this um, of this nomination? So it was through private initiative yes. added to the National Register of Historic Places. Yes. Um, is it still there? Has it yes. Been re- it is. It okay. is on the National Register of Historic Places as of January 20 this year. Okay. Okay. It hasn't been removed. Okay. No. All right. Uh, the legislature, you know, a couple of years ago had a big joint committee where they, they focus on things in, in terms of state building projects. And they hired a consultant, a big design firm came in and there were recommendations that maybe they could re- rehabilitate it all or remove some of the top floors. Uh, eventually, eventually by 2021, I believe, uh, there was a vote of that committee, almost a split vote, to take it down to three stories and um, although other options were considered, that's where we were at in 2021, right? Correct. Okay. Then uh, there was some private initiative to get the, the building listed. Uh, that's controversial. Okay, let, now we come up to early 2022, and there's, there's very complicated uh, quagmire that deals with the Kansas State Historic Preservation Officer. And the governor sending letters and that person not being at work. Okay, can somebody explain, dig into that and summarize that? Is that possible? Philip, you want to take that? Or sure. Should I, yeah. Uh, well, we were uh, operating under KSA um, uh, 75-2724, which allows anyone, a green person, to challenge the administrative uh, determination. The statutes require the governor to send um, the final determination to the state historic preservation officer. Mm -hmm. Um, In this particular case, that was Miss Jenny Chin, and she um, unfortunately had an accident on the Saturday after uh, the actual letter made it from the governor's office to what we call the SHPO's office. And by regulation, Ms. Chin was to review that final determination within five days and make any additional determinations, recommendations that she saw fit. Well, unfortunately, uh, Ms. Chin had an accident and um, passed away some three weeks later and never reviewed it. Um, in fact, the letter wasn't substantively even looked at until April 19th, even though it arrived at the SHPO's office on April 1st. So we have this this glitch. Substantively, this process didn't happen the way it was supposed to happen. Um, and again, so due to her illness, the timeline was uh, hiccuped to the point where the uh, there's a dispute perhaps about when it was actually arrived. Was it the April 1st? Was it April 19th? When did the clock start for your 30-day appeal time? Right. Well, again, here's the rub. It arrived on the 1st. Mm-hmm. And, and we it was there. We stipulated to that. It was in a box. Okay. okay. Three days later, somebody who processes that mail put it in Miss Chen's box. Of course, 
she was out of the office and never came back again. It sat there till the 19th until the deputy Shippo looked at it and sent a memo as required by the regulation to the governor saying, hey, we got it on April 19th, mm-hmm. even though the governor's office position is, oh, no, we sent it the 31st of March and you got it April 1st. Did that historic preservation officer, the deputy, did that individual concur with the governor's quest to demolish the building or did they throw, they just, it was a formality of we received your correspondence or did they object in any way? They did not object in any way. As an administrative appeal, we don't typically get to do what's called discovery in a regular civil lawsuit. So we don't know exactly what the deputy did. Now, we did receive an affidavit, and I appreciated that, from the deputy Shippo indicating, you know, these are the steps internally that happened. There's no indication that there was a substantive evaluation of what the governor's final order was, to my knowledge. There could have been, but I haven't seen it. And again, none of that is consistent with the stated public policy of the state of Kansas. Of preservation. Right. They should err on the side of including people to challenge, not excluding. Okay. Uh, You know, I think one of the motivating factors here is people are sick and tired of debating this issue. Mm -hmm. And they just threw up their hands and said, uh, for God's sake, somebody tear the building down and let's move on. Um, You know, it seems like it seems a little sad Michael, to think after a decade of debate that that's what's going to happen? I can't agree more. Um, it seems it seems crazy to me as an architect. And thinking thinking back to the, the time when this building was conceived and designed and built, you know, people put their they put their life into this this project. Uh, the scale of the building and the importance of the building um, nearby the Capitol. Um, it really, really is an important building, and it deserves not to just get flicked off of the map um, with a you know with a single finger flick. Um, I think what a, a lot of people also don't know is the building is it's sitting there idling. Um, it's really not using a lot of energy um, to do that. It's uh, actually heated and uh, maintained with uh, waste heat um, from hmm. the the utility plant downstairs. So hmm. um, we've even talked about the the potential for the building to be renovated um, and occupied floor by floor. Um, but the, I think you're right. I think the, the discussion and the dialogue is really closing down. And, and what we hope is that um, this, the, the, the facts and the, the sort of rationality can come to the surface at the end of the process. I think one thing that happened that we haven't talked about was the role of uh, certain city leaders, if you will, in the decision to have it torn down. And by leaders, I mean those folks who own real estate downtown and elsewhere who are benefiting from having office space uh, by state employees uh, paying them uh, rent each and every month for a long period of time. The then city manager uh, wrote a letter to the state uh, building committee saying that the city of Topeka supports uh, demolishing the docking. They didn't use the word demolishing, but uh, removing the docking building or renovating it or whatever uh, word they used to obfuscate the actual uh, plan as to what was happening. That city manager had no authority whatsoever from the city council to make that statement. The city manager in Topeka is an administrative person. Mm -hmm. Policy is made by the city council. I took that up with my own council member, Karen Hiller, 
right when it happened, and I've also talked to others, and essentially what they said was, well, we were busy with other things and we didn't have time to carefully take a position on this. Well, that's fine if they're busy, but then to have it come out saying the city of Topeka supports this is wrong because the city of Topeka, in the form of the city council, took no position whatsoever. But that's been used and carried forward by people who uh, want the building to come down to say that, well, the city supports this, so what? You know, what's the problem? Yeah, the city, just a second. Uh Colleen, the city manager could be interpreted as advisory, but clearly there was pressure from the land barons in Topeka to get rid of this docking building because that uh, clears clears the way for them to lease out space to government employees. You wanted to say something? I just wanted to return to that point that you made, Tim, about docking fatigue. And certainly you can, you can feel that at some points here in Topeka, but... Outside of Topeka and our conversations with friends and neighbors, and Plains Modern is a statewide group. Most of our members don't live in Topeka. People don't know about the docking building. They have no idea that 12 floors that they own are being pulled down so that the state can have a smaller building. Uh, so I would, I would challenge this idea that we've talked about this enough. People outside of Topeka don't know about it. I would also remind us to look at the history. Uh, consideration of building the docking started in 1945. Groundbreaking didn't happen until 1954. It took them a while to come up with this plan, which ultimately was very successful. The state was able to build docking for about $15 a square foot, whereas most public office buildings at the time were being built for 20 to 25. It was a cutting edge design, as Michael has talked about. It served the state very well in the central location right next to the Capitol. Um, I would say a little bit more time to make a better decision in light of the national listing of this building will be well worth it for the long term for the taxpayers in, uh, in Kansas. Yeah, maybe that's a legacy of the docking building and the long game. So in April, Governor Kelly actually issued the order related to docking. And in May, you guys incorporated Plains Modern and filed your petition to challenge the decision, the process. Uh, then in October, the department administration started presenting plans about a new building and uh, really kind of set aside the fiscal and environmental issues about demolition of it and uh, suggested that for all we know, the wrecking crews could be there on January 1st, you know, the new day. Yeah. And you guys were in court in December 6th. Uh, so, Colleen, what, where do you think the next step is this? Is it in court? Uh, it has to be in court? I don't or are you talking about an awareness? You know, are you trying to improve, expand the awareness of the docking plight? Well, for docking specifically, uh, legal remedy really is the only thing that could force state leaders to rescind this final order and for the legislature to rethink this project in light of the historical listing. But it is possible for Governor Kelly to rescind this order um, without any kind of legal finding, and, and we would appeal for her to do exactly that. Because she issued it, she could withdraw it. Exactly. Sure. I guess? Exactly. Sure. She could, they could stipulate to the dismissal of, uh -huh. of the pending suit and agree to... It could take three months to take another crack at it, and if unsatisfied that they, any kind of reasonable alternative is in the ether... Then they could, she could issue another order. Yes, and Tim, I threw that out at the hearing that you know at any point since May when we filed this, they simply could have re-noticed this, uh -huh. right? Yeah, and, and made sure the shippo who was then acting 
did their job. Yeah, maybe be right? a little bit more transparent. Right. Transparency is a significant issue. And, you know, if you try to pick uh, the most memorable buildings in the state of Kansas, I think docking's one of them. And for the docking to get this kind of procedural treatment, I, I find disturbing. Okay. I wanted to close this out by asking a question of you all about uh, sort of the the use and throw it away society. I, my parents have a farm in Missouri and I find myself rummaging around trying to find a piece of metal to fix a gate or something, you know, <laughs> instead of buying a new one. Uh, but And that's okay, but this is more complicated. You're talking about a very large building in downtown and prime real estate, but it is an expensive proposition when you start just throwing away 12-story buildings. Uh, with a budget, a, a, a replacement budget of about $120 million. That's real money. So what do you guys think about that generally? Uh, Michael, can you start with you? You know, just about architecture and buildings and just saying, ah, you know, it's 20 years old. We can just tear that down. Sure, Tim. And I think you're you're exactly right. I think the sustainable thing to do is to evaluate what you have first and see how you can reuse it because there's there's embodied energy, there's there's embodied carbon dioxide, um, in that original structure, and it all goes to the landfill. And actually, you're using more energy to tear down um, that building in addition to the, the energy it already embodies. So um, the project, in terms of sustainability, really doesn't look good from that perspective. Um, and the, I think also where the, the uh, state office uh, workers are, are currently employed, these are not um, super high quality uh, modern buildings. Um, these are, you know, grocery stores, grocery stores you know, renovated Dillon's. So mm-hmm. I think that's the, the potential to upgrade an existing building to modern standards. And that's something that Clark Huseman's original report on the, the full renovation of the building highlighted that this could actually be one of the most efficient office buildings in the whole state. Um, you know, despite its age, um, it, it really has that potential. Okay. Paul, do you think about historical precedent here? Do we think that uh, if they just can, can deck this building, then uh, what's next? Well, I think so. And just to echo what Philip said about the state policy, which has been on the book since 1977, about historic preservation being the highest priority, not a priority, but the highest priority. It's designed exactly to to go against this idea of being a throwaway society. We want to honor our historic roots. And so I think just that alone is enough to say this building should be saved. And Philip, the, the legal issues here, there's, this is, uh, I don't recall a, a controversy quite like this, but you could be setting precedent. That's true. And first of all, Paul, uh, yes, you're right. And I echo what you just said, what you just said. Um, certainly, look, I, my hope is if, even if we don't ultimately get our goal here is that the legislature will look at the statutory structure and fix it because it, it, it at best it is convoluted and it's not working right mm-hmm. okay so my, my hope is at least that much will happen and colleen you get the last word tim you're right we're a throwaway society but in talking to people around kansas about this issue i'm struck by how frequently when they find out about the particulars of the case, their immediate reaction is, what a waste. This is wasteful. I, this is contrary to Kansas values of being, of making good use of the resources that we have. 
Um, they don't understand why we're tearing down 12 serviceable stories to build back three. So I think that there is hope to turn people's um, thinking about this project around if they knew the facts of the case. Mm -hmm. All right, I think we're going to have to leave it there. I want to thank Philip, Paul, Michael, and Colleen. Thanks for coming in and tag-teaming this issue. Uh, it is an important one, a little bit convoluted, but uh, a lot of these things are. I want to thank everybody for listening to the Kansas Reflector. Thank you. Thank you.